This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. All right, after five innings, it's the Blue Jays leading Cleveland 8 nothing. Blue Jays rolling along tonight. Damian Warner closing in on the decathlon gold for Canada. Still does have four events to go, but he was outstanding in the 110-meter hurdles to uh, put a little cushion on his lead. CFL ready to go. Oh, we got a great text here from uh, Rob who says, uh, why weren't there 10 questions about the decathlon? That's a very good point. That's a very good point, Rob. I only asked Kellen eight questions about the decathlon. It should have been 10 questions. Well, we'll clean that up next time. That's a good point. 780-496-0063 is the number to text. It's also the number for the hotline presented by CertainTeed, professional-grade building materials. And we'll go to the hotline right now. And I'm pleased to welcome... Back to Inside Sports, one of the all-time greats in Canadian football broadcasting. It is Bob Irving. Bob, you're on with Reed. How are you doing, sir? I'm good, Reed. Thank you for the kind words. Well, you deserve them, and I'm I'm happy to have you on the show, and I'm happy you're getting back to work tomorrow. Well, I know yeah. you're a busy guy and you do a lot of stuff, but this is a big part. How, what season is this now for you calling Blue Bombers games? What are we at? I started uh, covering the Blue Bombers in 1973, and I started doing their play-by-play the following year. So do the math. It's 40 in the high 40s somewhere. Well, <laughs> it's a, it's I, I a was long bo- time. <laughs> I was born in 1974, so it's easy to calculate. Oh, there you uh, go. Wh- okay, so what? How did this start for you? Were like, were you already working as a sports reporter? Was this a first? Like, what's the tale here of you getting involved with the Bombers? Okay, that's a very short story. I came to CGOB in September of 1973. They had an opening in the sports department, and they immediately put me on the football beat. We were we didn't have the broadcast rights. CBC did, and uh, we did a pre and post game show. And so I was put in charge of that. The next year, we got the broadcast rights. Uh, Kenny Nicholson was the sports director. He was doing both the Winnipeg Jets and the Blue Bombers when we got the football. And the people in charge decided it was too much for him. Plus, there were some conflicts uh, in the schedule. So they said to me, a young pup from Regina by way of Brandon, they said to me, you're going to have to do the football. And I said, well, that's great, but I've never done any play-by-play. And they said, don't worry about it. So I didn't. And I started doing the (laughs) play-by-play. And there you go. That's the story. Okay, so how deep into your career were you then? Uh, I'd started in 1969 when I was 19 years old at CJSL in Estevan. And then I was there six months, three years in Brandon. So I was uh, about four years, four and a half years, I guess. Okay. I was very lucky. I I tell people, Reid, I was very lucky to land in a station that was committed to sports coverage that had the broadcast rights for both hockey and football. And that opened the door and gave me an opportunity. So I thank my lucky starts every day that I was fortunate enough to get a job at CJOB. 
Well, no kidding. And, and, a, and a great station and obviously another uh, chorus station as, as 630 yeah. Chet is. So did you have, so, but you'd never done, I know you were relatively early in your career, but you'd never done play-by-play. Did you have any desire to do? Because not everybody that goes into sports broadcasting has an interest in play-by-play. Yeah, you know, I never thought about it, to be perfectly frank. I, I wanted to be a sports broadcaster. That was my goal in life, I think, from my late teens on. And I hadn't thought a lot about doing play-by-play. I guess it was in the back of my mind. And, I, you know, I'm trying to think back that far if I was thinking about it very much. And I don't think I was. I was just happy to be at a station where we did a lot of sports coverage. And I got to read sports casts and, you know, interview athletes and all the rest of it that was a real hoot and uh, as I say luckily luckily enough I was offered an opportunity to do some play-by-play and away it went and I can tell you right now Reed that the most fun thing you can do in our business is play-by-play there, there's nothing to me that matches it and I enjoy reading sportscasts even to this day I enjoy reading sportscasts uh, some of the behind scenes work and you know what it's like it, you know it's not the most exciting stuff but play-by-play is where it's at so again you know I've been blessed to do it for a long time yeah well yeah I, that's cool you say that and that's how I feel about hosting a talk show though I've, n- I've never done play-by-play Professionally, I mean, I've done. I did U of A basketball for like six years, but that was more of a, a side gig uh, th- than a job for sure. So you start calling Bombers games in the seventies, and I just quickly Googled the whole list of Blue Bombers seasons, and to me, that it looks like, and I want to get your memories. The tale of the nineteen seventies for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers was uh, decent, but not quite good enough. Uh, who were some of the stars of that era? What do you remember about those teams? Well, Ray Yock was the coach for a few of those years. In 78, I think Ray became the coach. Uh, he was the coach in Edmonton, of course, and he came over to Winnipeg from Edmonton. Uh, Dieter Brock took over as quarterback in the late 70s, and he's one of the all-time bomber greats, one of the best ever play the game in the Canadian Football League. Uh, those were good teams that the Bombers had in the mid to late 70s and then into early 80s. The problem they had, Reed, was that the Edmonton Eskimos just had happened to, you know, roll out a dynasty from 78 to 82. And every year the Bombers would have a good year, but then they'd have to beat Edmonton, and they couldn't. Uh, Nobody could for most of those years. Well, all five of those years. Uh, So (laughs) that's one of my, I don't know if it's my favorite memories, but one of my strongest memories is some of those Bomber teams were really good, but they just couldn't get past the Edmonton Eskimos. And that Edmonton team from 78 to 82, as you know, had some of the greatest players in the history of Canadian Football League, and it was a team to be admired. Hugh Campbell was the coach. Uh, You know, Warren Moon, Dr. Death, Dave Fennell, all those guys. They were just, that was a phenomenal, phenomenal team and uh, the Bombers came up short every year because they weren't as good no they did turn it around 84 to 93 the Bombers played in five Grey Cups in in 10 years and and won three of them including a 50 to 11 demolition of Edmonton in 1990 when the Bombers had uh, bopped over to the east so I I mean after coming up just short for kind of the late 70s and early 80s all of a sudden uh, the Bombers became one of the teams to beat for, for about a 10-year run. 
Well, and here's what happened. They hired a guy named Cal Murphy to coach their team, and he had been an assistant coach under Hugh Campbell with those Edmonton dynasties. So we plucked him, the Bombers plucked him out of Edmonton, brought him over to Winnipeg, and Cal deserves all the credit in the world, and he's in the Bomber Hall of Fame, the Canadian Football Hall of Fame, for for turning the franchise around. He just did a fantastic job of recruiting players, making trades, uh, and he coached the team for a lot of those years, although Mike Riley also had a few years in there as coach. But you're right, they won the Grey Cup in 84 to end a 22-year drought. They won it again in 88. They won it in 90. They were in it in 92, 93. Yeah, those were very good teams. Cal Murphy, one of his misgivings, he he told me uh, many years after the fact, was that those teams didn't win more Grey Cups. Uh, they came up short a couple of years when they probably should have, uh, if you can ever use that term, should have gone to the Grey Cup and won the Grey Cup. But no, those were those were outstanding teams, and that's probably, well, no question, it's the most successful era in Bomber history that I've been around. The most successful was the Bud Grant era back in the late 50s, early 60s. But uh, Cal Murphy's days here, the 13 years he was here, were uh, were wonderful years of winning years, championship years, and the Bombers were a team to be reckoned with just about all those years. So you mentioned droughts, and uh, then the Bombers had one from 1990 to 2019. Some, yeah. they, you know, And along that time, they had some bad teams. They had some good teams. I, I, I still think the 2001 Bombers team might be a top 10 team all time, but nobody talks about them because they got upset in the Grey Cup. Uh, you know, an, an injury to a quarterback probably cost them in 2007. And I know Ryder fans will be upset at me saying that, but but I think that's part of the story. Just, just tell me what it was like for you, having called the games for so long, uh, to, to see them end it in 2019. In, you know, in kind of a Cinderella way because they, they changed quarterbacks along the way and they had to win a bunch of road games to get there. Well, I've told people many times, Reed, that the thing that pleased me most, most about the Grey Cup win in 2019 was it, uh, it was affirmation for Wade Miller and Kyle Walters, the GM, and Mike O'Shea, the head coach, that the things they were doing were right. And what did uh, Dave Dickinson call them, those uh, damn Canadians or something? He made a reference to them a few years ago, <laughs> those Canadians in Winnipeg. And, of course, those guys are all Canadians. But when Mike O'Shea came here, the franchise was in a bit of a mess. It was really in turmoil. And the first two years he was the head coach, they went 7-11 and and 5-13, and and people were calling for his hide. But, again, Kyle Walters and Wade Miller, who's the CEO, stayed the course and that's not easy to do in pro sport especially when the wolves are howling but they said look we're on the right track here we know what we're doing we're building something good we know that mike o'shea is the right guy for the job and so then the third year they had a winning record they've had a winning record the last four years uh and only calgary can match that in the last four years in the cfl and then eventually you know, they reached the top in 2019. And you're right, it was a bit Cinderella. They were rolling along in 19 at 7-2. and two. Matt Nichols gets hurt, and then they stumble around a little bit. Uh, before the second-last game of the year, they acquire Zach Kolaris because Chris Trevler, for all the great things he's done for the Bombers in the last couple of years, couple of seasons, uh, he just is not, I don't think, uh, 
you know, a starting quarterback and not a frontline guy anyway. And the Bombers, you know, he was doing a decent job for them, but they knew they, if they were going to go where they wanted to go, they had to bring in a veteran. And Zach Kolaris was available. He comes in. He wins the last game of the regular season in his first Bomber start. And then they go on that great postseason run where they win in Calgary big. They win in Saskatchewan in that thriller. And then they you know, dominate the Ticats in the Grey Cup game. It's being referred to, and I think it's fair to say, as one of the most impressive three-game playoff runs in uh, in a long, long time in the Canadian Football League. And so I was happy for O'Shea and Walters and Wade because, you know, all the work they put in and all the things they did right finally came to fruition. Bob Irving joining us tonight at Inside Sports. Play-by-play for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers from CJOB in Winnipeg. It's an honor to have you on the show, Bob. We got Cal- a guy named uh, a listener who goes by the handle Cowtown Bob on the uh, text line. I, I believe yeah. he has a-, a band of, like, dancing cows that he takes around and does shows and stuff. At least that's in my mind whenever he texts in. He yeah. says, uh, Bob Irving does a great job of calling the Bomber games. I hope Doug Brown is his color guy again. It's great to hear the passion that he brings to the play-by-play. He is engrossing. So there you go. You got a you got a Calgary guy texting an Edmonton radio station to say he enjoys your work in Winnipeg. <laughs> well, that's very nice. And Doug Brown will be working with me again this year. And it's just fun calling the games. And, you know, we get, get into them big time. I've often said to people, when you're doing play-by-play of a game, at least this is me anyway, you kind of feel like you're in the game. You, you just get the sense that you're you're part of it because you're describing every moment of it. And so that's the way it uh you know, it, it appeals to me and the way it feels to me when I'm doing a game. But I, very nice of Don to say that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so what's the... Oh, I, I want to ask you about tomorrow's game, of course. Yeah. What's the... Uh, what do you think is the oldest piece of tape of yourself doing play-by-play that you have or have access to? Do you know? I think I have the 82 West Final... Uh, Winnipeg Edmonton on a cassette I have not saved any tape since then or before then I don't really I'm just not into that I you know I don't want to listen to myself I don't like listening to myself (laughs) and so I just I see no we I we taped those games back then and I don't know why I think my family did it and they're in a cassette somewhere. If you could ever find a cassette player, I don't even know if those exist anymore. You'd, <laughs> That's a good you'd point. really have to look, look, look long and hard to find one. But I know I do have a cassette because I, I, I remember it being in a drawer. But that's about it. No, really, I... You know, I'm not trying to be trite or anything, but uh, the last thing I'll ever do between now and the time I leave this earth is listen to anything I've done. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think I have a cassette player in a box, but I don't think I could hook it up to any speakers. So it's it's not much good. That wouldn't do much good, would it? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so now tomorrow's game. Yeah. It's a rematch. Uh, you know, predictions are hard to make at the best of times, but a, oh, yeah. a season like this especially. Though Hamilton seems to be kind of one of the favorites, and you'll have to update me here, but I, I'm seeing some stuff that some important Winnipeg players probably aren't going to play. What's going on? 
Well, there's important players, Reed, on both teams that won't play. We've been all week saying about the Bombers, they're going to be without Andrew Harris and Darvin Adams and linebacker Kyrie Wilson, who I think is one of the most underrated players in the league. Those three are out. And then Hamilton comes in, and they're without their two best receivers, Devier Posey and Braylon Addison. You know Posey from Edmonton. They're without Ted Laurent, who's as good a defensive tackler as there is in the league. They're without Chris Van Zyl. Their uh, right tackle on the offensive line. They're without Cario Brooks, one of their starting defensive backs. I mean, they have more or as many key people out, maybe more than the Blue Bombers. So it's a great cup rematch. And the Bombers have a lot of players back from 2019, I think more than any team in the CFL. Uh, Hamilton has quite a few, too, including Jeremiah Mazzoli, who will start at quarterback. Uh, and, of course, he missed most of 2019 when he got hurt playing the Bombers in game six of that season. So it's an interesting matchup. It's a great cup rematch. There's lots of hype surrounding it here. We're going to have 30,000 fans at uh, IG Field, which is pretty impressive, Reed, when you consider that, you know, you have to be double vaccinated to get into the stadium. And... Uh, 20% of the province is not double vaccinated. So 20% of the province doesn't even have the right to go to the game. And I think if they did, it would be 33-5, which is sellout. But it's going to be a big crowd. It'll be an emotional night. They're going to hang the Grey Cup banner and have a big celebration. And so it's going to be a lot of fun tomorrow night at IG Field. All right. And finally, uh, you mentioned IG Field, and that's the, the new stadium. You had the old stadium which I think was Winnipeg Stadium before it became yep. Canada Canadiens. What's the, like, was it just to the point where you were ready to get out of that old stadium? Like, what's the oh, yeah. biggest upgrade for you? <laughs> it was way past its uh, past due date, Winnipeg Stadium. was lots of great memories there, and I loved working there. The sight lines for us in the play-by-play booth were fantastic, and for the fans, too. But it just wasn't up to the standards that fans expect today in terms of boxes and, you know, luxury suites and all that. So they built a new stadium, and, you know, I think it's the nicest stadium in the league. I know that our friends in Saskatchewan would argue Mosaic is beautiful too, but uh, IG Field is fabulous. Look, it's how long has it been open? Five, six, seven years now. Every time somebody walks into that stadium for the first time, uh, their jaw drops. They just say, man, and they get these big, beautiful canopies over top of it. They just can't believe how beautiful it is. And we're very proud of it. We, we think it's a fantastic stadium, and uh, yeah, it's it's great. It's fun to, to see the, the reaction that we get from people, and it was a much-needed upgrade over the old barn, as they used to say, or still say well, yeah, I hope we can do this again because I always love having you on the show. Uh, you know, you, you're just such a wealth of knowledge uh, in in so many different ways. Somebody else just texted in saying they used to listen to you and Kenny. Was it Kenny Plain? Was that the oh, gentleman's yeah. name? Yeah, yeah back when I started, Kenny Plain, one of the all-time bomber greats. He was uh, he was the color guy. Yeah, right on, yeah. Bob. All the best tomorrow. Enjoy being back in the booth. I hope we can talk again soon. Thanks, Reed. Anytime. That is Bob Irving. Uh, absolutely. Uh, one of the legends in the CFL, play-by-play play, uh, play play for the Bombers, as he told you, since 1974. And he's back in the booth tomorrow night for the Bombers and the Tiger Cats. It's Inside Sports on Chet.
along tonight and having a good time. Bob Irving, an absolute classic, was just on the show. You heard from Randy Ambrosi, the commissioner of the Canadian Football League, and Edmonton Elks receiver Shy Ross going into his second season, and uh, it could be a big one. Could be a big one for Shy Ross, who's been making an impact in training camp. We'll uh, dive a little deeper into Andre DeGrasse's goal in the 200 meters in the final half hour of the show. Big moment for Canada. There could be another one in the uh, decathlon today as well. That obviously is not going to be wrapped up by the time this show ends, but uh, an ongoing story, absolutely. And the Elks getting ready for Saturday, head coach Jamie Elizondo. Well, I think you saw a couple of skirmishes out there, so I think they're ready to hit somebody else, you know. Um, good thing is they're not ready to hit me yet, so uh, that, that's a good thing. Okay, but, uh, yeah, I think there's excitement. I think it's building. Now, you know, you're, now you're a couple of days away, and it's real. When you're in the first week of training camp, that game is still a long, a long way off. Second week of training camp, you're in the grind. Third week of training camp, you're hoping to make the team. Yeah. Now you've made the team. Now it's like, oh, I can taste it. You start seeing the, the tents put up, the signs, and it becomes a little bit more real. So there's a, they're excited. Jamie Elizondo, head coach of the Edmonton Elks. Saturday, 6 o'clock countdown to kickoff on 6.30. Chad game at 8 against the Ottawa Red Blacks. going to be a blast. Quick news and weather update. 200. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Peter Gold for DeGrasse. What does it mean for Canada and Canada's track athletes? We'll talk to a couple of them when we get back. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Yeah, discus, the next event in the decathlon, and we got uh, two Canadians looking at medals. Warner right now in first, pay, uh, first place, LePage in third. And the discus is going to start in about uh, 22 minutes. So we won't have a further update on Inside Sports, but hopefully we're talking about a couple of medals on the show tomorrow. Now, the Canadian women's soccer team uh, practicing, about to practice in Tokyo, they're, they're still trying to get the time of the game changed because the temperature was, uh, I, I believe, up over 45. And they don't want to, they prefer not to play in that heat. I can't blame them. Uh, 8 o'clock tomorrow night, mountain time is when it's going to start, but 11 a.m. in Tokyo. So they're they're trying to, adjust, uh, still working on adjusting the time of that game. So we'll see if that happens as the Canadian soccer team goes uh, for gold. Damian Warner going for gold in the decathlon. Blue Jays in action tonight. Well, still 8 nothing. They led 8 nothing after the third. That's still the score. They're now into the middle of the seventh in Toronto. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. You can get in touch, 780-496-0063. Follow me on Twitter, at Reed Wilkins, R-E-I-D-W-I-L-K- 
INS. One of the big stories for Canada, Andre de Grasse, the sprinter, gets bronze in the 100 meters. He wins gold in the 200 meters. First Canadian to do that since Percy Williams in 1928. We're going to discuss that with a couple uh, up-and-coming sprinters from Edmonton. First of all, we welcome back to the show... We had him on a couple of years ago when he was the 2018-2019 uh, U of A Track Athlete of the Year. Outstanding career for the Golden Bears. Austin Cole is on the line. Hey, Austin, how are you doing? Good. Thank you for having me. Good to talk to you again, Austin. And also uh, a guy who was uh, in the 100 meters at the uh, Canadian Olympic trials. So he raced against some of these people that you're seeing in the Olympics. Uh, bright future ahead of him as well. You may want to write down this name looking ahead to the next Olympics in Paris. Malachi Murray is on the show. Malachi, you're on with Reed. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing very well. It's nice to have you guys on the show. Now, Malachi, uh, this is you and Austin know each other quite well. So nothing, not unusual for you guys to talk track. <laughs> Now, actually, across the right now, actually. Sorry, could you say that again? We got a bit of a muddled connection there. I said we're actually across the room from each other, so yeah, we're pretty tight. Oh, okay. So doing this uh, from from the same room for sure. Austin, what club do you guys race for now? Uh, we race for uh, Capital City Club. Uh, just. Uh, uh, doing an orange track uh, club if you want to, if you see the colors on the track that's that's capital city okay. orange yeah. okay so austin since we last spoke to you because we, we talked to you when you were having a great career with the golden bears well kind of kind of give us the cole's notes of how things have progressed for you since then uh well 2019 uh after that year went on to be a great year for me uh, ended up going to world relays uh getting a silver there for a mixed uh, 4x4 team, and then headed over to um, Worlds as well uh, for the mix 4x4 and finished about, uh, I think, 15th, 14th there, something like, I think 14th there. Um, so not quite enough against the final, but a pretty good effort as we set another Canadian record there. And then, uh, unfortunately, 2020, COVID hit, obviously, and that set us, set us everyone in, in the Edmonton area back quite a bit uh couldn't really train couldn't really compete um but, but this year has been really good uh kind of getting back into stuff with uh training uh more access and uh we've been having a great year so far uh went out to canadian trials um tried my best at uh qualifying for the olympics uh came up short but um Came out the next day, uh, next two uh, two days later, had another race and uh, came up with a huge, huge uh, season's best. So happy with that and, and continue to move forward for the rest of the season here. <clears throat> Austin, what did you run at the uh, at the trials? I ran the 400 meter. Did the 400 meters. Okay. And Malachi, yeah. you went there as, as well. Uh, tell us about the depth of talent right now for Canada in the 100 meters. You got two big dogs leading the way in Aaron Brown and Andre de Grasse. And you got a couple of guys that are, that are in like Gavin Smalley and Bismarck and those guys. And you got a couple of young guys coming up in Blake, uh, Bellade and myself. So Canada is looking uh, pretty good past, present, future. So I, I'm curious about something. Um, as someone who is a tragically slow runner when he has to, 
<laughs> whenever he has to try to run at a top <laughs> speed. Uh, and you guys, you know, both said you, you went to the Olympic trials. You, you weren't quite there to make the cut. So you're looking ahead in your careers and you're going to get there. But how do you shave off? Because like you guys are in sports where a tenth of a second or even a few one hundredths of a second could make the difference between you're going to the Olympics or, or you're staying home. So I'll start with you, Malachi, on the hundred meters. How how do you how do you shave off that that time? I mean, you, will you get a little stronger as you get older? Is is it technique? Like, how does that um, happen? Where you go from sixth to third, second, or first? I think me and Austin may have similar answers in this, but uh, it's basically just consistency, like consistently working and uh, building on the talents that you already have, and working on your your not so strong suit but um as long as you're coming out and working five days a week twice a day you know you're confident what about for you austin and i guess your specialty is a, a little longer uh distance but but still you're trying to shave off whatever you can right how do you do that yeah for sure 400 meters still a sprint don't get me wrong so uh very similar training um and it's honestly you have to come out and execute your race plan, um, and you have to show up to practice every single day. That's where the work is put in. That's where the hard stuff is. And then on the day of the race, you just got to come out and execute and have fun. Um, a lot of people forget about that part. You're there to have fun, so you don't put too much pressure on yourself or you're going to tighten up. That's, that seems to, seems to be happening a lot, and you can see in the Olympics, um, you know how Degrassi in the 200. Just in the, and before you started off, he was smiling, waving around. He was he was having fun. You could see, and he he executed a great race, and he came home with the gold. So I think that's a big a big uh, part of the thing too. Is you got you got to stay calm, um, have a little fun with it when you're out in the track for sure. So Austin, when you watch DeGrasse, how has he become one of the best in the world? I mean, I mean medals in the uh, hundred meters, and now he wins the the gold in the two hundred. I, I think he didn't kind of get into track until. He was uh, he was a little older, so what's when you watch him or or know about him? What's the secret to his success? <laughs> Wouldn't everyone like to know that? <laughs> <laughs> but what, um, what do you see, what do you see when you watch him run? I see I see a lot of talent. I see a lot of hard work. I see a lot of uh, a lot of grit. A lot of determination. He you know he wants it really really bad out there every time he gets on track. So. Uh, I haven't, I haven't never seen him practice or anything like that, but I, to be running that fast, you got to be working hard. So you can tell he's a really hard worker. Um, it, it's motivating to see him out there uh, running against the big, the, the best guys in the world and and beating them straight up. That's that's it's really motivating to see, and uh, I, I think he he's gonna be really happy with himself for the next <laughs> next like year or so because I knew he really wanted that that goal for sure. Malachi, what what does it mean to you to see to see Andre win these medals and to put Canadian track on the world stage like that? Uh, it, it it gives um some inspiration, some belief that uh, if born on Canadian, then you really can can achieve something important. And you know that is just one thing that I've really gone to see or figured out just from watching him. So. It's truly inspirational. All right. So, 
what uh, what else has stood out for you guys? Like, are you interested in Damian Warner in in the decathlon? Have you watched some of the the other? I mean, we talked about how great Canadian women have done. The soccer is tomorrow. Do you guys just focus on the sprinting when you watch the Olympics, or what else has caught your eye? Uh, Malika, you go first. Uh, yeah, Damian Warner. Uh, I love watching him, and uh, his hundred meter is top notch. Like it's even though he's a decathlete, his uh, hundred meter sprint is one of the best in this country. So it really shows. Um, and uh, in terms of other sports, I would uh, have to say weightlifting. I know that's uh, always fun to watch. I, I heard some records broken today in the clean and jerk so yeah and what about you austin um yeah i've i've been watching a lot of events yeah it's you don't usually see this many events so for a track and field it's, it's usually hard to find them on tv so i've been watching on 800 meters 400 meters 400 hurdles that that race uh if you haven't watched the 400 meter hurdles men's and women's uh, you gotta go look it up on youtube or something that was outstanding world records broken in both of those events so i think those two events so far have been highlighted of the games um there's other sports i've been watching uh volleyball i'm watching some some swimming and uh, surprisingly rowing i've watched some rowing i think that's an interesting sport as well the guys are going for like one kilometer just full out it's like holy so it's been pretty pretty amazing to see athletes all all across the board for sure Right on. Well, hey, we're going to stay in touch with you guys, and uh, I, I know you're both shooting for 2024, the next Olympic Games, so uh, let's uh, keep each other posted on how things are going. Austin Cole, Malachi Murray, all the best. Thanks for your insight into Andre DeGrasse's success. All the best to you guys. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks for having okay, us on the right show, on. Right on. Thanks, guys. Yeah, a couple very fast gentlemen checking in on uh, Inside Sports, and both from Edmonton, Austin Cole and Malachi Murray. Went to the Canadian Olympic Trials, didn't quite make it this year, so they're uh, shooting for the next cycle. There are names to watch for sure. 7.45, we'll call a quick timeout. It's Inside Sports on Chet. Thank you, Mr. Ellingson. Got some new uh, little intros coming back from commercial there. We got something uh, special for you. Kellen, is this tape ready to go? Uh, the, we're we're going it's, to, it's going to be loaded there for Kellen. It should be there, Kellen. Um, just keep an eye out on it. It's going to pop in any minute. We got something special here. And I, and I want to do this because we're we're a little bit past. It was July twenty seventh, nineteen ninety six, when Donovan Bailey won the uh, gold in the Olympics in Atlanta in the one hundred meters. And uh, on the twentieth anniversary of that, on the twentieth anniversary of that, we had him on Inside Sports. So let's flash back to that uh, in the in honor of DeGrasse here. Uh, Donovan Bailey telling you about the, the morning of that 100-meter race in 1996. Well, one, I mean, it was a tough morning because I woke up the morning of the finals and, and there was a bombing that happened the night before. You know, so, so, so that I woke up, I, didn't, I actually thought that when Dan, when my coach told me that that had happened, I thought he was joking. I thought he was trying to figure out if I was focused or not. 
but you know what? That, again, that was unfortunate. Uh, you know, but that, that was how my day started. It started with breakfast, and, and we heard about that. We, 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 you know, we inquired about um, if anyone was hurt and, and, and all of that. And then uh, just, you know, just kind of gone, went through the day, uh, you know, as, as, as in a, a preparation day for, for the race. I went and got, um, you know, got a massage, you know, kind of relaxed uh, during the day and, and then just kind of, uh, you know, got ready, got ready to go into the semifinals. I was, I was very relaxed and, 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 and quite confident. I knew that, uh, you know, it was for me to lose. I didn't know what time I was going to run. Uh, my coach thought that uh, I should, if I ran a pretty good race, that means if I got out of the blocks, I had a proper start, and I went through my, my, uh, my top speed middle transition, I should run maybe about 9.71. Uh, and, uh, and, and really, that was it. I, I, I just, I, it, was just, it was just that day. Uh, it was a regular day. I, I just thought, you know what? I've done all the work. Uh, I got to be relaxed. Not too much on my mind, just... Uh, just, just relaxing and taking it easy. Well, I got to ask. I, I, mean, I mean, I wanted to ask you what it was kind of like to be at the starting line and be in that moment where the race is about to start. But you had to do that four times. Christie had a false start. Bolden had a false start. Christie had a false start, and then wouldn't leave the track for a while until it was confirmed. And I remember maybe a little bit of grandstanding on his part. Maybe you have a different. <laughs> maybe you have a different opinion since you were right there, a few feet away from right. him. But I mean, what was what was it like resetting three times before the race finally, you know, counted? Well, you know what? I actually got I got a little upset at those guys because I actually said them. I, I actually said to those guys in the blocks. I said, relax, the race is going to be over soon. I remember I said that to him. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, because, because I was, one, uh, I, was, I was so prepared, uh, but I think that it, it, like it, 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 it takes a little bit, it takes a little edge off, I think, that when you're, when you're there and there's a false start. And that's one of the reasons why it is that that rule changed. It, it, it's, the rule change that happens today is specifically from the race in 1996. Uh, you know, I, 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 at no point, I mean, at, at no point did I, did I think I was going to lose. And I think part of the problem with guys trying to pick uh, is, is everyone trying to jump on, on someone who they think that, 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 that they can beat or they, or they have this, the faint idea that, that, that they can win. Now, yeah, the, the, on the track, it was a little different. I, I thought, um, you know, sometimes having a conversation about a pure race is something out of dreamt of having. Uh, the fact that I had to share that stage, I have to share the stage of me breaking the world record, being the Olympic champion, world champion, and world record holder, the first man in history to do that, not in Canada, but the first man in history. It's, it's, sometimes it, it, it's a little disheartening, uh, almost like a slap in the face when, when, you're, you, know, when you have to share that with, with obviously, Linford uh, got disqualified and realistically should have just walked off, the, walked off the track. Now, I look at that in like reflecting on that, that that's my opinion on the track I really didn't it didn't care because I was there for a job my job was to win the race that was what I was going to do Donovan I mean you've mentioned how confident you, you felt going into that race I mean you, you said a couple minutes ago I knew it was it was my race to lose Having said that, <laughs> once the race started and, 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 you know, you go through those, those 9.84 seconds, at what point did you, did you know it was yours? And I'm talking about in, in the process of, of being in. I mean, when was, was it when you accelerated about 60 minutes in and kind of passed everybody? Was it when you were celebrating at the line? What was the moment of actually winning it like? 
Well, first of all, I, you know, I had a terrible start. I was, I was, a, I was the second last guy out of the blocks, and I thought, oh man, this is not good. I mean, mind you, again, this is me reflecting because clearly I didn't think, that, I didn't think that in the race. I didn't have, didn't have time to think that. But, but listen, I, I got out. Uh, I realized I, I, I had a terrible start. Um, and and the whole thing, the whole, I mean, and but we have practiced all of this, and 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 um, yeah, I practiced all that, and uh, and um, you know, I just realized that if I don't panic, I get into my acceleration phase. There is no man that existed before me, and the only man that that's gotten bigger tops, a higher top speed than since then is Usain Bolt. So there is nobody, none of those guys are, are in my league. So I knew that if I, if I just relaxed, I would probably hit top speed later on, uh, which would probably be around the 60, 65 meter mark. Uh, and so I knew probably ab about then. I mean, I, I knew that when I got the blocks I, and I started getting back into my drive phase and, and I could feel, you know, it's almost like, um, yeah, I could feel, you know, Frankie and and uh, the, the the lanes be, be, between me. I, I could feel those guys. So I knew that I knew that I'd won it probably about 16 years. And 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 I really my job was just not to panic. <laughs> well, well said. Uh, you know, you're uh, for a lot of us. Well, most of us, millions of Canadians, we're watching on TV. We're watching on CBC. We're watching mm -hmm. uh, Don Whitman call the race. And I, I, awesome, I, Don's I, awesome. I, I, I just, I mean, what is? I mean, the late Don Whitman. What's it like just to be linked with him? And and when you go back, I don't know if you ever go back and watch it, but when you hear him call it, just your feelings on that. First of all, I think people need to understand the relationship between Jeff Gowen and Don Whitman and myself. It is amazing that, that, that the, at the highest points in my life, you actually have a commentator. You actually have someone whose voice would live on as long as the race lives on, which is forever. And those two guys, Don Whitman and Jeff Gowen, were two of the very best in the history of the world at, at, at commentating in sports. Those two guys, absolutely in a league by themselves man and and like it gives me it just gives me like like the, the thing is although i might be watching a race that i'm in i'm actually i could actually not race and 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 just and and just listen to the audio of those guys doing an impeccable job i mean i i got i got a chance uh, not only for those guys to to call my races but to be interviewed uh by don whitman and be interviewed by jeff cohen and believe me these guys are they are they are at the top of their game and and and, and easily uh, the most knowledgeable people about any sport that they do that's some fun stuff out of the vault donovan bailey from 2016 remembering his 1996 win so we now play part of that as uh, we're at 25 years for his 100 meter win hey thanks for checking in tonight talk to you again tomorrow at six 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.